1 John chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. It says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. In verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In 2002, uh, there was a movie out called Bad Company, and it starred Chris Rock. And some of the co-stars in that movie were Anthony Hopkins and Kerry Washington. And uh, in the movie, Chris Rock played um, an individual named Kevin Pope. He was a CIA agent, but he also played a street hustler named Jake. In the movie, Kevin Pope is killed when he's dealing, um, making a deal for a nuclear missile, and it goes south. Kevin Pope worked for the CIA. But the individuals that shot Kevin Pope did not know that they had killed him. So the deal still needs to go down. And so Anthony Hopkins, along with his team, find out that Kevin Pope had a twin brother named Jake. But Jake, who's a street hustler, did not know that he had a twin brother because at birth their mother gave them up. Well, Anthony Hopkins and his team, they find Jake. And when they find Jake, they begin to tell him the story of his brother. Jake doesn't believe the story at all. He's not buying it. And Anthony Hopkins pulls out some papers and he begins to tell him what happened at his birth. And how that one of the brothers had surgery as a baby that left a mark near their heart. And when he says that, that there's a mark on one of, the, one of you, Jake puts his hand up to his chest and he feels the mark. At that moment, he knows that the story is true. He has a twin brother. The mark was irrefutable evidence about the story. Christ Church Roseville, this morning I want to preach for your joy in Christ. I want to preach for your joy in Christ and the progressive work of the gospel in your life. And I want you to understand that the gospel produces irrefutable evidence. There are marks that should be evident in your life. If you, if you proclaim faith in Jesus Christ, irrefutable marks, you cannot deny them. 
And we're going to look at two of them this morning. We don't have time to look at all of them. We're just going to look at two this morning. And the first one we're going to look at is this. Anyone who claims to have fellowship with Jesus Christ will be growing in disobedience to sin. If you proclaim to have faith in Jesus Christ, you are growing in disobedience to sin. If you proclaim to have faith in Jesus Christ, number two, you are growing in obedience to the word of God. So you're growing in disobedience to sin and you're growing in obedience to the word of God. Those marks must be in your life. And so if you are a professing believer, I preach this morning for your joy. Now, these two marks are going to be at different levels in everyone's life, but they must be a part of your life for the claim to be real. And if you are an unbeliever here this morning, I pray that you hear what Christ has done and that you are moved from being an enemy of God to being at peace with God through Jesus Christ and your life will bear the fruit of a transformed life. And so this is the point of the text. The claim to be a disciple of Christ is not authenticated by a one-time decision that results in no change to sin in the word, but many decisions that result in growing disobedience to sin and obedience to the word of God in every area of life. Or to put it another way, the claim to be a disciple of Christ is authenticated by many decisions that result in growing disobedience to sin and obedience to the word of God in every area of life. Or to put it another way, real faith results in real change towards sin and the word of God. Or to put it another way, your faith could be false if you're living like you're lost. Or to put it another way, your faith is real if Christ rules every area of your life. We come to 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Little background of the book. John is writing to encourage believers. They're dealing with three different groups throughout this entire letter who are teaching error. And they're trying to deceive the disciples of Christ. And I'm going to talk more about them later. And so we come to verse 1 and 2. My little children. My little children. So John is writing to men and women who are disciples of Christ. He is not writing to new converts to the faith. He's writing to believers. He's writing to seasoned saints. But he calls them children, and he's not describing their spiritual standing, but he's describing the fact that he loves them. John has a loving relationship with them. He loves these sheep. He loves them. John cared deeply for them. He is concerned about their spiritual condition, and so he writes. It is possible that these men and women are on shaky ground. They're on shaky ground as to what it meant to have true fellowship with Jesus Christ. And John knew what it meant to have true fellowship with Jesus Christ. He was confident that he had fellowship with Jesus Christ. You remember what it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. It says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John did not doubt. 
He was fully assured that he had fellowship with Jesus Christ. But he wanted to make sure that they, the recipients he was writing to, and even now, I want you to know that you have fellowship with Jesus Christ. So why could they have been on shaky ground? It's possible of the strong influence of unhealthy teaching. Unhealthy teaching was coming from false prophets, deceivers, and even antichrists. And their philosophy, their teaching had to be addressed. It's very important. You remember in 1 John three nineteen, John has to write, and he says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Us. So maybe they're shaky. Maybe they're like, there were some people that gathered with us. There were some people that were with us. There were some people that were in this room that met right here at this church. Where are they now? And John pastorally has to write and says, they weren't really of us. But I'm writing so that you know that you are of us. I'm writing so that you know that you have fellowship with the Father. So what are the marks of those who have fellowship with Christ? What are the marks? One is that you're growing in disobedience to sin. You're growing in disobedience to sin. Beloved, if you find yourself struggling with assurance of salvation or you're discipling someone or ministering to someone or you are discipling your children and they're wrestling with these questions, First John is a good place to go and to meditate and to teach and walk them through. It's a wonderful book. Saints, be encouraged. Jesus Christ did not die so that you would live a life doubting your salvation. Jesus Christ wants you to know that you have fellowship with him. He wants you to know. He doesn't want you to doubt. He wants you to know that Christ has done everything that was required to have fellowship with him. Well, what does it mean to have fellowship? Well, John is not defining biblical fellowship as, as just hanging out or a cookout or attending a softball game or playing soccer or eating a meal together or gathering with people of common interests or an activity, or an experience, and there's nothing wrong with those things. Those things are good. We need those things. But he's not just talking about a social function. It's interesting because in chapter 1, four times he uses the word fellowship. Four times. And when he's describing fellowship, what he's talking about is a fellowship of salvation. It is a fellowship of eternal life. With God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that all true believers have and they have with one another. That fellowship has two sides. There's a vertical side and there's a horizontal side. And he wants them to know that you can have and you have fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Remember, The claim to be a disciple of Christ or have fellowship is not authenticated by a one-time decision that results in no change to sin and to the word of God. But many decisions that result in growing disobedience to sin 
and obedience to the word of God in every area of your life. And so the pastoral heart of John leads him to write. John puts his thoughts in writing. This is an act of love. John writes so that his hearers, you and I, can examine our lives to look for the irrefutable results or marks that all disciples of Christ have. It is an act of love. I was talking to Jason real briefly before um, came in here to preach and was just asking about you all going through John Owens. That's an act of love an act of love for your, one of your elders to take the time to take 14 chapters and to break them down into what, five? You said five and to open them up for you. That is an act of love. And John right here is, in writing this letter, putting his heart on paper because he loves these men and women and he loves Jesus Christ. And so he says, I am writing to you. Christ Church Roseville, remember, it is an act of love for your elders to warn you corporately and individually about the deceitfulness of sin. It is an act of love. It is a loving act for your elders to warn you corporately and individual, individually about destructive teaching. It is love for them to do that. So John says, I'm writing these things to you. He doesn't say I'm praying for you, which is good. He puts his thoughts on paper. It's good to be thoughtful. It's good to think through theology. It's good to think through the letters in Scripture and the Gospels. It's good to think through the entire Bible, actually. It's good. It's good to be thoughtful as a Christian. And so he writes, well, what about you? How can you be thoughtful as a Christian? One way you can do that is to think through what is your post-sermon strategy? What is your post-sermon strategy? What is your strategy to think of the ways to apply the sermon personally to your loved ones at work, to if you're a stay-at-home mom, if You're thinking about the future. What are you going to do? What is your plan to take what you hear week in and week out and to bring it back up into your mind? Have a strategy for bringing back God's word. What is your strategy? You could read the passage that was preached again while you rest on Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening. Or think of ways you can meditate on the sermon throughout the week. Pick, up, pick out a verse or a point that was made and you read over it more and more. You talk with others. Fathers, how can you take this sermon or how can you take every sermon and lead your family to think about God's word? And so John writes because he does not want them to sin at all. One writer said about these verses, the false prophets who deny the central doctrine concerning the person of Christ also develop a warped view of sin and the law. So John masterfully brings forth light to the darkness of the false teacher's view of sin. The view that nothing should change once you come to faith in Christ. 
or it's okay to sin, or you're free to sin. Disciples of Christ are marked by growing disobedience to sin. So what is sin? And the word used here for sin is to miss the mark. What is the mark? Well, we were created for the glory of God. That was the mark. God created you to enjoy him forever. We were created to live for God's glory. Our actions, our motives, our pursuits are to put forth the greatness of Jesus Christ. Or to think of it like this, you and I are to be billboards that other people can see how great God is. You know, when you're traveling on 85 or 95 or wherever you travel, you see billboards. And maybe you've been driving and you're hungry. Or you need gas, and you see that billboard, exit 14B. We're going to get something to eat. We're hungry. That billboard draws you in. Our lives should draw people in. Our lives should show off the greatness that how we live, how we talk, how we act, how we treat other people shows off the greatness of Christ. We were created for the glory of of God. But unfortunately, rather than displaying the glory of God, we miss the mark. As it says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So sin means to miss the mark. Miss the mark of glorifying Christ in every area of life. And so John writes for them and for us so that we may not miss the mark. And so the scriptures call you and I who claim who profess to be followers of Christ to a life of growing disobedience to sin. In the Bible, disciples of Christ are painted as people who obey. We're painted as people who obey Jesus Christ. He's the master. We follow, we obey his instructions and commands. And so this is the one area in life which we have the freedom to disobey. We have the freedom to to disobey sin. Talk a little bit more about sin. Think, keep these three categories in your mind as you think about sin. Don't have time to unpack them all, but remember these three things. A disciple of Christ has been delivered from the penalty of sin, which is eternity in hell. So we've been delivered from the penalty of sin. That's one. But also remember that a disciple of Christ has been delivered from the power of sin. So sin is no longer the master of a disciple. Look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. We don't have time to look at that. So we've been delivered from the penalty of sin. We've been delivered from the power of sin. But then also, and this is going to happen in the future, a disciple has not been delivered from the presence of sin. That is going to happen. When Jesus Christ returns... He removes us from these sinful bodies in this sin-cursed world of the world, the flesh, and the devil. The presence of sin will be removed. And so that is yet to happen, but it is going to happen. And so remember, you have been delivered from the penalty of sin. You have been delivered from the power of sin. And one day, by the grace of God, you will be delivered from the presence of sin. And so one of the irrefutable marks of a believer is growing disobedience to sin. 
Now, I did not say, nor does John say in here, growing into sinless perfection. He does not say that at all. We will never reach a point in this life when we are completely free from obeying sin. And so how are we able to disobey sin? Christ church rose will be encouraged. We are able to disobey sin because in our salvation package, God has given us the Holy Spirit. You have been indwelt with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. You may say, I don't feel the Holy Spirit, and it has nothing to do with feelings. This is a biblical truth. First John 3, 9 says this, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. I'm going to say that again. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. It is not natural for a believer in Christ to live a life of practicing sin. Why? For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. John understood something about the power of the gospel. The power of new life changes you and I. It changes how we view sin, how we relate to sin, and he wanted them to understand that. Listen, you and I have been set free from the power of sin because of Christ. In Ephesians 1, 3, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity indwells you and I, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not lead you to sin, nor will the Holy Spirit tempt you to sin. The Holy Spirit empowers you and I to say no to sin. It empowers you and I to flee from sin. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We wrestle, we struggle, we fight against sin. Sin is real. We all deal with sin. But God's word says, he says, listen, no temptation has overtaken you. When your mind trips and say, I got to give in, I got to do this, I got to watch this, I got to say this. The Bible says, no, you do not. No temptation has overtaken you at all. But God does provide a way of escape. Don't miss this. God doesn't say in your temptations, I step back and you're on your own. He says, no, in temptations, it's not going to overtake you. But not would not overtake you. Look for the way of escape. I've put it there. It's there. There's a way of escape. Ultimately, beloved, our growing disobedience to sin comes down to a love issue. It's a love issue. Who do we love? Who do we love? It is not about accountability partners or small groups that enable us in the moment to disobey sin. And I'm for both of those relationships. I need them and you need them. But beloved, I preach for your joy. Growing disobedience to sin is a hard issue of who do you love? Who do you love? Paul says in Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. What he's saying, let it not be. No way shall we continue in sin that grace may abound. How can we who die to sin live in it? 
And 1 John 3, 5 says, You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning, this is convicting, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Powerful. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. It's growing. He's not talking about perfection at all, but there should be a growing disobedience in our life to sin. Growing disobedience in our life to sin is evidence that we know him. So be encouraged because John is writing to those who have fellowship with Jesus Christ to bring light to those whose claim is false, who were claiming they had fellowship, but they really did not. John is writing to go against that false teaching. He's writing to encourage them. This is what it means. You have this. Don't listen to what they're saying. Christ Church Roseville, what is your relationship to sin? Is sin your master? Is the Spirit of Christ your master? If your coworkers had to describe your speech and your work ethic, would it be a pattern of disobedience to sin? Would they say there's something different about that individual? What would they say? Parents, what would your children say about your parenting? And fathers, how you lead your family? What would your wife say? Mothers, what would your husbands say about you leading the home, caring for the home? Does it show off Christ? Do you have a pattern of continuing in sin while at the same time declaring you are a disciple of Christ? Those two things don't line up according to the scriptures. So the first mark is that disciples of Christ are marked by growing disobedience to sin. Not perfection, but growing disobedience to sin. I'm so glad that John has more to say here. I'm so thankful that God is full of grace and mercy. And that he has our entire salvation journey worked out. And so we've been delivered from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, the presence of sin. So we will not sin, but we sin. We do sin. We've sinned this month. We've sinned this week. We've sinned this morning. We may be thinking about how we're going to sin when church is over. We sin. I love it because verse 1 says, but, praise God. But if anyone does sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have an advocate, not we will have or we might have or we hope he's coming. No, we have present tense right now. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Understand this, a disciple of Christ is growing in disobedience to sin, but also a disciple of Christ will live in a state of confessing sin. So those two things, they're both there. We live in a state of confessing sin. 
And so when you obey sin, when I obey sin, what do you do? What do you do? Run to Christ's commands. Run to Christ. Don't run away from Christ. Run to Christ's commands. Run to him. And so in 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wonderful verse. This verse is for disciples who know Christ and are growing in disobedience to sin. The context of that verse, verse verses 1 through 8, John is talking about walking in the light. He's talking about walking in the light. You have fellowship with Christ. And so it's not just a general verse you just throw out. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. No, he's talking to people who are walking in the light. And those who are in the light, he says, if you're in the light, if you confess your sins, that's who he's talking to. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Christ Church, Roseville, the reason you can run to this verse and say the same thing God says about your sin, that's confession, is because God is faithful. It's because God is faithful. And you're running to Christ because you have been unfaithful. And he knows that you've been unfaithful. He is fully aware of your actions. He is fully aware of how you orchestrated events to sin. He knows the struggle against sin is hard. He knows. Think about this month and your relation to sin. This week. This morning. Maybe you came in here and you said, Christ, be satisfied with how I sing this morning. Christ, would you be satisfied with what I put in the offering plate? Would you just be happy that I came and sat down in here this morning? It's not where he wants you to run. He wants you to run to Christ. Run to Christ. And confess your sins. And he's faithful. He's faithful. God knows what you're struggling with. He knows that you've been saying no to sin when you've been tempted. He knows the shame that you feel when you do sin. He knows that you've been praying and you've made changes in your life to not sin. Christ Church Roseville, he knows that you may be struggling in an area that only you and the Godhead know about. He knows. He knows. But there's also something that you need to know and continually remind yourself of in your relationship with sin. And you need to get a hold of this. You need to get a hold of what Jesus Christ did and what he is currently doing on your behalf. You get a hold of what he did and what he's currently doing on your behalf. First, what is he currently doing? Jesus Christ, it says in the verse, the righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous, is our advocate before the Father. Jesus Christ is not in the grave. He's at the right hand of the Father. So John was confident of this. Christ isn't in the grave. He's at the right hand of the Father. 
And understand this, the ministry of Jesus Christ on our behalf did not end when he rose from the grave. Jesus Christ is still ministering on your behalf in heaven. The advocate. May this communicate to us how jacked up we are by sin. That we still stand in need of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives while he's in heaven. We're still in need of him. And so the righteous one is our advocate. He's our defender. He's our father in heaven. He speaks on our behalf. So be encouraged that Jesus speaks on your behalf. He doesn't ask you for any information at all. He doesn't ask you for your perspective or your view at all. He doesn't ask you for your degree. He doesn't ask you for where you graduated from. He doesn't ask you for your bank account. He doesn't need any of that. He's your advocate. He doesn't ask you how many um, memory verses you know. He doesn't ask you how many um, Bible studies you've been through. He doesn't ask you how many theological books you have on your shelf. That doesn't matter. He is your advocate. He is your defender. It is his righteousness. And be encouraged that Jesus Christ can stand in the presence of the Father and not be destroyed. He doesn't need a coal like Isaiah did to be put on his lips. He doesn't have to take off his sandals as Moses did. He didn't have to do that. Jesus Christ can stand for you and for I in heaven, and the Father is pleased with him. It is his righteousness. And so be encouraged. Christ Church Roseville. Stop defending yourself when you sin and run to your advocate and confess your sins and let him defend you. Christ's death is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Christ's perfect life and sacrificial death appeased the wrath of God. The rightful wrath that should come down on you and I will not because of Jesus Christ. May your joy be in the gospel, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the first irrefutable mark is growing disobedience to sin. The second mark is growing in obedience to Christ's commands. Growing obedience to Christ's commands. Verses 3 through 6, he says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. One writer said about these verses, one's relationship with God can vary from casual acquaintance to intimate fellowship. But God is not interested in a relationship that is casual and meaningless. He desires that we come to know him intimately. What is your strategy to know Jesus Christ intimately? What is your strategy? Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. He has authority over your life and over my life. He has authority over how we relate to him 
And you and I are in a position to submit to his rule and to submit to his authority. And one of the ways we do that is through obedience to his word. Maybe you say, I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling with submitting to his word or to his commands. I'm struggling in that area. Say, Christ, I need help. I need help to obey your commands. I need help to get into your word. I need help. I may have to change my schedule. I may have to cut back on some things. I may have to cut back on blogs that I read. I may have to cut back on things that I watch, on things that I read, so that I can spend time in your word. A disciple of Christ keeps his commands. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. It's interesting here in that verse, the first no is just a general claim. Anyone can make the claim, I know Jesus Christ. Anybody can say that. I know Jesus Christ, or I I know I have fellowship with Jesus Christ, or I've trusted in Jesus Christ, or I've uh, accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. General claim, that's fine. Anybody can make the claim. But the second know in this verse carries with it the idea that one who makes the claim there's going to be results so it's not just a general claim it's a claim with results and so the general claim does not authenticate saving faith saving faith is authenticated by the result of obedience to jesus commands once again your claim to be a disciple of jesus christ is real if you are growing in obedience to Jesus' commands. Jesus Christ said this in John eight thirty one through 32 to some Jews that had believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's interesting there, he did not celebrate their belief. He informed them of the results that would authenticate their belief. The results would be abiding in Jesus' words. You are truly my disciples if you abide, if you remain in my word. My commands were referring to the word of God. All of God's word. Christ's church rose will remember that God has given us his word and it is a gift. It is a gift. We have in our possession a gift. We have the complete story of God's plan of redemption readily available. We can listen to it and we can know the heartbeat and voice of the living God. Christ Church Roseville, may you fight against the lie of your own flesh and the devil that God's word is too hard to understand. Fight against it. Think about this. What are you going to do this week to begin a regular intake of God's word? What do you need to sacrifice to read the Bible? How can you help another member grow in God's word? Maybe you started a reading plan and you got off of it. Start back this week. Start this week. Go small. Say, I'm going to five minutes in the word. Then pick it up to 10 minutes. Maybe don't say an hour, you know. You may discourage your own soul. Start small. 
Get into the word of God. And if you don't know where to start, ask the elders. Verse 4 and 5 are very clear cut. If you say you know him, but don't keep his commandments, John says, then you are a liar. The, per- the, the point is the person who makes the false claim is not just lying about scripture. They are a liar to their core. They're lying. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. May your soul be encouraged as you keep God's word. And may your soul be challenged even now. If you are not keeping God's word, confess, repent, and run to the word. Verse 6, the last verse. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The two irrefutable marks that we have looked at today of anyone who claims to be a disciple of Christ were perfectly displayed in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ walked in obedience to the word and will of the Father. And Jesus Christ disobeyed sin every time it reared its ugly head. Jesus Christ was and is the perfect example. And so John can say, if you're in him, you ought to walk as he walked. Why? Because it's evidence that you're in him. And that is what the gospel is doing in you and I, ultimately conforming you and I to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the work that God is doing in you and I. And God will complete that work when he returns and we receive our glorified bodies and we'll be no longer in the presence of sin. We'll be in the presence of the living God. So may you, Christ Church Roseville, grow in disobedience to sin and grow in obedience to the word of God. Let's pray.